Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akadelma, that is, the field of blood. For, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let no one, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph, called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. The Gospel of the Lord. <sighs> okay, that was a long one. So, we're talking about ascension. We're talking about the ascension of Jesus after his resurrection, and the things that happened in and around that. And we kind of been talking a little bit about how, you know, one of the big events of Christianity that we really emphasize is, is the resurrection. You know, we have a whole holiday about it. You might remember some eggs and bunnies and things like that. We call it Easter. Um, it's about the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's a big deal. But also, and, and less noticed, I think, is, is this other part, which is the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And I really think we, we emphasize the resurrection because the resurrection is all about new life. And for most of us, we've dealt with so much difficulty and so much brokenness in our lives. The promise of new life is a big deal. It's, you know, it's something that we want to sing about. Oh, Jesus, my broken things, you can heal those. Uh, where, I've had, where there's death in my life, there can, be, there can be life. And so we emphasize the resurrection, and it's important. But the ascension is just as important, because as the resurrection brings life, the ascension is what brought us mission. The ascension is what, when Jesus goes and sets the church off to do what the church was put on earth to do, which is the mission of Jesus Christ. And so, now we're looking at this kind of weird period of time, because Jesus has just ascended into heaven, and the apostles are like, what? And an angel comes down and is like, hey, 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 you guys, stop staring at the sky and start doing what Jesus told you to do. Um, and so that's happening. And, but they've also, Jesus told them, hey, you need to wait 
until the Holy Spirit comes to give you power to do what I put you here to do. And so in this middle period, we have this passage right here. And so they've, Jesus has now ascended, and the apostles have gone back to this upper room place. Some people, I mean, we don't really know this, but some people think this is the same upper room where the Last Supper happened. Um, and so, you know, and it's, this is kind of a bigger place. Uh, an upper room in ancient Israel was, hey, you had this family house, and then built on top of it was a room that you, you maybe you'd rent out. Um, or you'd have guests in, or this or that. And so they're in this upper room, and, and they're hanging out. And so you have these guys present. So you have this, this laundry list of apostles. Here we got you know, the, the famous names, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon the Zealot, uh, and Judas, the son of James. And how would you like to be the second apostle named Judas? That's a bummer. <laughs> you're going out and you're out with the apostles and you're like, oh, hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm Judas. And they look at you and you go, not that Judas. I'm the other Judas. Oh, man. Judas is actually a very common name at the time. Uh, so you have, you, have the, you have the second Judas and you have all these, you have all these different people. You also have uh, here the last mention of, of Mary in Scripture. Um, who's, who's up there, the mother of Jesus, with the, also the brothers of Jesus. So that would have included some people uh, like Jesus' brother James, who wrote the book of James, uh, and Jesus' brother Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. Um, and you know, it's, it's funny. When you think about some of the things that, that prove that Jesus, people really believe that Jesus was the Son of God and raised from the dead, I think one of them is clearly that his brothers believed him. Because who here has brothers or sisters? If you said that you were the son of God, born sinless to save the world, how many of your siblings would believe you? And if your sibling claimed to be God's son and, and all this stuff, you probably wouldn't believe them either because you know them. And so I, I think one of the really telling, and, and Jesus' brothers earlier in scripture in the gospels think he's crazy. You know, there's other parts where they're trying to stop, you're like, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> And then you have this point where the resurrection has happened and the ascension has happened. And suddenly, in this company of early believers, Jesus' brothers are there. And they're, they're part of this group who's praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. I think that's, that's really fascinating. And so they're all in this upper room. And we, we hit this situation where they're waiting for the Spirit to come. And there's lots of times in our lives where we end up in a period where we have to wait you know, this, this church is now getting toward a year and four months old, and I've probably talked about waiting and in, in preaching, I'd say, at least four or five times. You want to know why? Because it's a big deal and we're impatient. <laughs> As a culture, we're really, 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 really impatient. We want things and we want them now and we want them microwaved, even though they don't taste as good. Uh, we want the things that we want immediately. And so we're going to talk about waiting in the context uh, of mission, though. Not just waiting for something that you might want or something you might think that you need. But God put you on earth, and he has a mission for you. And that mission is to do what, what Jesus put you on earth to do, which is to tell people about him. And to, and to be a witness of who Jesus is and of the resurrection and to go into all nations and preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus put you on earth for that, which is a little intimidating. It is for me, and uh, I, I got it as a full-time game. 
And so, you know, Jesus put us on earth for his mission, for his purposes. And, but sometimes there's a period of time where we're trying to sort that out. What does that look like in my context? Because it doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to go to seminary and be a pastor. In fact, seminary is awful and I don't recommend it. Uh, no, it's not that bad, but it's boring. Uh, and it's a lot of work. So what you're called to might be a little bit different than what I'm called to. But you are called to something. You are called to mission in some real significant way. And there's times where we've got to figure out what, what are God's marching orders for my life. You know, we co-opted, we've talked about this before as well, we co-opted this ancient Roman saying where they'd say, Caesar is Lord. And so the early church stole this and changed it and said, oh, no, no, Jesus is Lord. That's kind of a subversive way of saying, you know, we're not of that system. We're now of the system of Jesus. But and Jesus is Lord means Jesus is in charge. Jesus is Lord also means that I am not Lord. So when it comes to the different priorities in my life, that means that I don't get to say, you know, this is what my mission is. I don't get to say, this is what God put me on earth for. Instead, we're supposed to wait and let God speak into us and tell us what our mission is. And so God is looking to give us kind of these marching orders and as we look at the apostles, I think there's some things that we can really pull out of this passage. And so they're in the upper room, and they kind of decide, hey, you know what? Um, we're now, we were the 12 apostles, and that's kind of a nice round number. But now we're the 11 apostles because of this particularly little gruesome bit where we read about Jesus. Uh, Jesus, no, Judas buying a field, his body bursting open, and all of his intestines spilling out. Anyone have that Bible verse in their fridge? And that's a refrigerator verse, uh, you know, in the nice flowery language, you know, fonts, and, and everyone called it the field of blood. Um, and so Judas is gone. We've got 11 apostles, and Peter, who's kind of taken charge of the apostles here, uh, says that's not right, and so we need to get a 12th guy up to the plate here. And so they go through this whole, this whole process, uh, but... What is, so they're actually in a waiting period. Jesus has told them, hey, you know what? The Holy Spirit's going to come and give you power. But, Jude, uh, but Peter doesn't just sit there and wait. Like they actually are doing things while they're waiting, which I think is really significant. Because sometimes we can use waiting as an excuse to do nothing. We can say, oh, well, you know what? God hasn't given me a specific you know, a specific burning bush experience to tell me what I'm supposed to do. So that means that I can just sit down and eat Pop-Tarts. Mmm, uh, Pop-Tarts. Uh, and so they're waiting, but they're still active. They're still doing stuff. And the first thing that we see that they're doing is they're still meeting together. So this is this early group of believers. A hundred, you know, it's funny because we think of the church worldwide and you, you have these billions of Christians. But this is the beginning and there's about 120 Christians. The church not that big. And Jesus had told them, hey, you know what? Your guys are going to get power, but you need to wait for it. And they could have all just been like, okay, well, let's go home. <laughs> okay, until, until we get this power, let's just go do something else. But they, they kept meeting together. Uh, verses 13 and 14 said, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphys, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. 
So they're meeting together. So instead of, of, of going their separate ways and just waiting for something to happen, they obviously from the very beginning continued to value the idea that the church of Jesus is a community. It's not just, you know, hey, we get together once a week and we sing some songs and then we go home. But there, there's relationships in the church. The church is built of, of believers in Jesus who know and who care about each other, who to do things together. In this case, they're praying together. And they're in this upper room with, with all these different people and they're praying. Uh, not just the, you know, the, the, the spiritual like leaders. So it's not just these 12 apostles who are like, well, okay, you little people. We're going to be here and we're going to do the real powerful praying and you guys just wait because something's going to happen. It's everyone. It, and it includes at this time along with all the women, which to us doesn't sound like a big deal. But in, in the Jewish culture at the time, men and women tended to pray separated from each other. So they're still they're praying together, which is kind of significant at the time. And so they're, they're meeting together. There's a value in the community of the church. And that's why, you know, as a church, you know, a game night might sound like a, 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 just a fun, silly little thing to do, but a game night's actually a way that we build community and that we know each other. And we, we get to know each other through, through little things like that and by living life together. You know, one thing I love about our church is that I can walk up my street and walk by three or four different houses, the people who go to my church. Like, this, it's, it's, this is a community church. And I'm, it's not just, you know, a bunch of people from everywhere, you know, and there's some people who travel in and that's great too, but it's also a, really a true community church and, and we get to know our neighbors and through our youth ministry, you know, there's kids who I get to wave at and say hi to from youth who maybe aren't here on Sunday, but we know them through youth group and they're, they're part of this community. And so that's really amazing, this whole idea of meeting together. And so while we're waiting for, for God to give us really uh, any kind of specific mission, we're still to meet together. If you're not sure what God's called you to in your life, and if you're not sure what exactly your mission is, then the first thing you do is you, you get involved in the church. You don't just come and sit, but you say, hey, you know, I want to be a part of this. I want to serve. I want to find a way where I can bless other people in whatever way that God's given me while I figure out why God put me on earth. So we meet together. And the other thing is, is I think you have to start doing what you already know how to do. And by that I mean, so what, is, what does Peter do here? Peter says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke about long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. So they're waiting, but Peter starts quoting scripture and saying, hey, you know what? You know, we're waiting for something, but I, I see something here that doesn't seem quite right when I look at the Bible. That, you know, it talks about, you know, for it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. So Peter stands up and says, you know what, we might be waiting. We might be waiting, but I feel like that this, this thing here that doesn't quite line up with what I feel like it's supposed to be, we can act on that. And we can say, hey, you know what? We, we can look at God's word and say, what do I already know is, I'm supposed to be doing and how can I do that? So what that means is if God's put us on earth for a mission and we might not know what that specifically looks like for us, we can still look at the words of Jesus where he tells us, hey, you know what? You should love your neighbor." You know, you should, you should uh, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. All these things that we know we're supposed to be doing, you don't need a specific call to love your neighbor. 
You don't need a specific, a specific word from God to tell you that, that you need to bless those who persecute you. You don't need a specific call to tell you to do any of those things. Instead, you can do what you already know you're supposed to be doing. You can, you can say, hey, you know what? This person, I know they need help. You know, I've seen that they're having a hard time mowing their lawn. And I know that I can be Jesus in this situation and help them out. So we can do what we already know how to do. And that's what we see Peter. We see Peter saying, hey, you know what? I'm pretty sure there's supposed to be 12. And so since there's only 11, and I see this in Scripture, I'm going to do something about it. And finally, and uh, this one is, is kind of the kicker, we can pray. And we, we've actually talked about prayer recently, so I'm not going to beat you over the head with this. But Acts 1, 24 and 25 says, Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And back in verse 14, it was talking about they all joined together constantly in prayer. And so as we, we, we've talked about prayer and, and, the, and how to pray and all these things in, in the couple of weeks previously, we can consider when we're waiting to find out what God has for us, the mission that God's given us personally and as a part of the church community, we need to be in prayer because that's how God will speak to you. Because prayer isn't just us speaking to God, but it's allowing God, as we've said, to speak into us. But if you don't sit and pray and listen, you're not going to give God the opportunity that he needs to speak into your life. And what we do instead is that we fill our lives with noise. We try, in fact, sometimes we're really kind of intimidated by, hey, God has something for me. And if I find out what that is, I'm probably going to have to do it. <laughs> and so we, we try to noise up our lives so that w we won't hear him speak. But instead, we need to take the, the example of the early church here, where when they're waiting for God, they pray. And they take the time to, to meet together and to listen for what God would speak to them to do. So you're going to encounter periods of waiting. You know, and, and again, and this, this is in the context of, of, of mission, the ascension, that Jesus came, he died, he was resurrected, and then he was ascended into heaven because the Holy Spirit had to come. And for the Holy Spirit to come, Jesus told us that he had to go. And so the mission of the church to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so we could do what we were intended to do, the ascension had to happen. And so as we, we continue through Acts and we, and we see the Holy Spirit and all these things that are going to happen, first we have to acknowledge that sometimes there is a period where we have to wait. And we have to say, God, what did you put me here for and how am I going to find out what that is? Pray with me. Lord, for each of us today, there's something that you've put us on this earth to do on your mission. You've given us each gifts and talents by your spirit. You've made us, made us unique and you've made us all, all significant in some way. And so God, I pray that for those of us who, who are unsure about exactly what we're to do with, with, all the, with what you've put us on earth for, that you would help us to, to see what we're to do right now. 
that we wouldn't make excuses to do nothing, but instead that we would continue to to, to become involved in the, in the body of the church, that we continue to meet together, that we would continue to look into your word and say, God, what are these things that I know I'm supposed to be doing that I can be doing? And that we would seek you constantly in prayer for, to know exactly what you'd have us to do day to day. God, help us as a church who has the mission to change the city and change the world, to, to see that each one of us is a significant part of that. That There's not a single person that you've put in this place that is insignificant to the mission to reach this city. And God, let us take steps of faith today to say that today I'm going to be a little bit more on your mission, Jesus, today than I was the day before. That I'm going to, I'm going to be one more step either, I'm going to be one more step connected with the church or I'm going to be I'm going to take another step toward obeying your word. I'm going to take another step toward reaching out to you in prayer. So that when, find, when Jesus, you have that thing for me to do, that I'm ready for it. That I'm not just waiting and doing nothing, but I'm preparing for the purpose that you put me on earth for. And so today, Jesus, is once again, you invite us to your table to remember your, your broken body and spilled blood on the cross as you told us to. Help us to reflect on this this time of waiting that we're in, whatever it is. Help us, as we we think about your your body broken and your blood spilled, to to remember that through that death that, that we can accomplish whatever you've put us here to accomplish. That your death and resurrection overcame sin, it overcame death, and so it can overcome the little obstacles in our lives. And so we come to your table humbled and expecting you to speak to us again today. In Jesus' name, amen.